Well, thanks so much for joining us today for TCC at Home. Excited to spend some time in God's Word with you. We're going to be in three chapters at the end of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapters 10 through 12. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Today we wrap up our series called Between Two Worlds that we've been walking through over the last few weeks. I want to encourage you to, uh, to be back with us next week as we begin a new series walking through the book of Ephesians, looking at who we are as the church. Uh, in this time, as we uh, are scattered all about, uh, I couldn't uh, think of a better time for us to, to be reminded of who God calls us to be as his church, looking at that, that topic through the lens of the book of Ephesians. So join us next week as we begin that new series, Walking Through the Book of Ephesians. Um, really looking forward to that time and hope you are as well. Uh, but today we come uh, to Daniel chapters 10 through 12. We, we began this series looking at the, the second half of the book of Daniel, chapters 7 through 12, with, with an understanding that we find ourselves today living between two worlds. We live in this present world, and yet we live in light of the world to come. And we've said that the most important thing for us to understand about looking at a, a book like Daniel, particularly what we call apocalyptic literature, is, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. That changes everything. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection... God has actually brought the world to come into this present world through what Jesus accomplished on, on the cross and through his resurrection. The world to come has invaded this present world and the lives of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior. So here we are living between these two worlds. Uh, everything has changed because of Jesus, but here's the reality. Not everything is the way it should be. So our lives have been changed because of faith in Jesus, and yet we live in a world that's not the way that it should be. We're waiting for Jesus' return. And today we're going to come to these last three chapters in the book of Daniel. And, and it's actually going to take us through one vision uh, that spans three chapters. And it's a vision about what's to come, just as we've seen uh, in the other chapters that we've looked at. God is, is revealing what's to come, what's to, uh, to lie before the people of Israel on the other side of the Babylonian exile as well as what, what is going to, to happen at the very end before God returns and makes all things new. So this vision is about what's to come, but it's really a vision about God. A vision about God who will sustain His people until the end. And that's, that's really the, the topic that I want to be at the forefront of our minds today. I want us to, to consider three truths about God. Uh, as I describe him today, if you're a believer, a, a part of treasuring Christ, I, I pray that, that God uh, gives us a greater view of who he is, a deeper affection for him as the God who sustains us until the end. But I also pray if you, if you don't know him or maybe you're considering what it means to, to know and follow Jesus, that your, your heart would long to know him and, and more than just know him, to be known by him. Uh, because to be known by him is the most important thing in the world. So here we are in Daniel chapter 10. Uh, and the, 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 the reality is, as we walk through these three chapters, there's a lot of ground that we have to cover. I'm not going to read all of the verses, but I'm going to try my best to, to summarize the, the flow of what uh, unfolds. Uh, but, but I really want uh, to, to really frame our time as we walk through these three chapters with, with these three truths. And, and the first is this, that God has proven himself 
faithful. When we look throughout Daniel uh, chapters 10 through 12, we're going to see God as having proven himself faithful. Look with me uh, to chapter 10, verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word, and he understood had understanding of the vision. In those days, Daniel's giving his account now, I was mourning for three weeks. I had no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself uh, for the three full weeks. That sounds like some of you in quarantine. You know, No shower, three full weeks. Uh, here we are, and he says, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and I looked. Behold, a man clothed in linen. What, what Daniel's going to go on to describe is, is God having sent an angel and really, it's an angel unlike anything uh, that we can imagine. This angel is arrayed in glory and splendor. And in fact, all throughout the Bible, when, when angels show up, there's often this sense of glory about them. And, and it reminds us that as God sends his messengers that are full of glory as they encounter human beings, it's a reminder to us that that's just a, a faint glimmer of the, the glory of the God who sent the angel in the first place. And, uh, and, and so Daniel's going to receive this vision uh, from this angel about what's to come. Really, the content of the vision is in chapter 11. Chapter 10 is just setting this encounter that Daniel has with the angel. And, and when I say that God has proven himself faithful, we, we see it uh, at, the, at the very forefront here. It's now the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Remember back in, in chapter 9, it was God gave a vision to Daniel in the first year of this king. And it seems that Cyrus and Darius are synonymously used in reference to this king here of Persia. But it was in the first year of the king that this vision came. And remember, the vision was about when God was going to send Israel back to the land and what was going to happen when they got there. Well, in between year one of this king and year three, we find out in the book of Ezra that this king, King Cyrus, sent out a word to send back the exiled uh, Jewish believers to the land of Jerusalem. Daniel was, was longing for the day when the 70 years would, would come about. And, and here we are in the third year of King Cyrus, and, and God has kept his word. The 70 years have, have come to an end, and, and now the king is beginning to send back some of the people of Israel to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. And we, we, we find this in Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and it says that Cyrus makes this proclamation that whoever among all of his people, uh, may his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of this place with silver and gold and other, um, other precious metals to, to meet their needs as they went back to the land. So, so Daniel has already begun to see God fulfill his promise and his word. He, he's seen it play out before his very eyes. And, and now God is, is coming to him and, and going to bring this final vision about what lies ahead for the people of Israel. Daniel's still, in, uh, still there in Babylon. And you can just have imagined what it what must have been like for Daniel as he watched uh, some of those Jewish uh, faithful uh, believers 
be sent back to Jerusalem. The, the joy that must have been in his heart that to see God work and keep his promises these 70 years to send his people back just like he said he would. And, and what we're going to see in, in chapter 10 and 11 really is similar to what we've seen unfold in chapters 7 through 9. We're going to see the reality that this God who is faithful uh, and has proven himself faithful, he, he does so because he's sovereign. He's in control. He's in control over all nations and in control of his people. He not only knows what's to come in the future, but he's actually working out all things according to his plan, both in the present and in the future. We see that kingdoms are going to rise and fall. We've seen this in the previous chapters as God reveals what's to come after the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire and the Greek Empire into the Roman Empire and even to the very end. And in all of this, we're reminded that, that though kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, they don't do so apart from God's sovereign rule. And, and in fact, chapter 10, when you see the, the angel of the Lord, and, and there are actually other angels that are spoken of, the, the angel Michael, uh, who comes and does battle with, with, it seems like, what's called the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, we, we see this spiritual cosmic battle that's going on behind the scenes. Daniel gets a glimpse of what's going on um, in, in, in really the, the, uh, the, the heavenly realm. Uh, and and it, it reminds us that God who is sovereign over all that we see is also sovereign over all that we don't see. There's a spiritual battle that wages in the world around us. And, and God is sovereignly waging that battle for his glory and for the good of his people. And we get a small glimpse of that here uh, in Daniel chapter 10 when you look uh, at the latter verses. But, but the vision that's to come is a vision about what it says if you look down in, in verses 13 through 14 when it says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, the angel, 21 days, but Michael, who's one of the chief princes, came and helped me. So we're getting this glimpse of this cosmic spiritual battle. Uh, and it says in verse 14 that the angel comes to, get to, to Daniel to make known the understanding of what has happened to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the time yet to come. And when we pair verse 14 with verse 1 that says it's a vision of great conflict, we see that, that God is revealing what lies ahead of the people of Israel as they go back to the land of Jerusalem and even what lies before all of God's people until the very end comes. And you know, as we look at Daniel 10 through 12, and in reality, all of Daniel, verses 7 through 12, we have the, the vantage point of our present moment in history to look back and to see how God has kept his word. Daniel saw it in his day when King Cyrus sent some of Israel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But we see it today when we look back over the, uh, the scope of biblical history and, uh, and human history and we see how God has been working and has proven himself faithful time and time again. But, but I was struck by this reality of God proving himself faithful when I was reading in Ezra. Uh, Ezra uh, comes... Uh, about 80 years after the, the first group goes back from Babylon to Jerusalem. So uh, Ezra was also in Babylon, and, and a later uh, Persian king actually sends Ezra to go check on things because things weren't going so well in Jerusalem. And, and Ezra is a, uh, described as, um, as, a, as a blessed and anointed one, a priest who comes to uh, who teach the law and to teach God's people the right worship of, of God. And he comes into Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem, and, and, and we see a prayer of Ezra in Ezra chapter 9, verses 8 through 9. It's similar to what you saw with Daniel in Daniel 9, when, when Daniel was lamenting the sin of his people and asking and begging God to act on the basis of his character and for his glory. In Ezra chapter 9, verses 8 through 9, we see Ezra lament the sin among God's people even after they got back to Jerusalem from exile. They still went, they went away from God in their hearts and, and were unfaithful to him and disobeyed God. And Ezra comes back and he laments what he sees, but, but then he prays this in verses 8 through 9. He says, But now... For a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and give us a secure hold within this holy place that our God might brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. Listen to to what he prays. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but he has extended his steadfast love before the kings of Persia, to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection to Judah. We are slaves, Ezra prays, but God, you have not forsaken us in our slavery, but you have shown us steadfast love. When when I say that God has proven himself faithful, how has he proven himself faithful in your life? Look, there are two ways that we know God is faithful. The first way is that we look at God's word and we search it and we read it and we study it and we see how God promises to do something for his people and how he keeps his word. We see how God is true to his character, how he's never changing, how he's always there, how he doesn't forsake us. But we also know that God is faithful through our own lives, through the testimony of our own experience. So so fill in the blank here in your life. For we are blank, yet our God has not forsaken us in our blank, but has extended his steadfast love. For we are in quarantine, yet our God has not forsaken us in quarantine, but he's extended his steadfast love. For we are tired of how every day looks the same, yet God has not forsaken us in our everyday, ordinary, mundane lives But he has extended his steadfast love. For we are overwhelmed by work or life or difficult relationships. Yet God has not forsaken us in what overwhelms us. But he is showing us his steadfast love. I don't know who needs to hear this. But but hear what God says. God has not forsaken you. He will not forsake you if you belong to him. Those who call on God as Savior, as Lord, no matter how hard the trial, no matter how grievous the sin, no matter how deep the wound, no matter how trying the circumstance, God says, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake you. God has proven himself faithful, but but here's the deal. We have to remember that he's faithful. 
I don't know if you've had this experience in quarantine, but uh, sometimes, uh, you know, as we talk about our days looking the same, you, you just kind of get stuck in a mode and, you know, you try to put the, the milk in, uh, into the pantry rather than back into the fridge, you know, like, like you, you just, you, you, you lose sight of what, what's happening and you, you forget what you're doing. You, you, you walk downstairs and you're not sure what you came down there for. I don't know if I'm showing early signs of something, but uh, if you have those moments, you know, it's easy to forget things in life. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, it's easy to forget how God has proven himself faithful time and time again. I believe there's three questions that everybody asks in some way, shape, or form when we face a trial, when we face difficult circumstances. And here are the three questions. We ask these questions of God. God, do you see me? God, do you love me? And God, will you help me? We, we want to know, God, do you, do you see that I'm here? Do you know what I'm going through? We ask that in our hearts. Perhaps we even pray that to God. And then when we think about whether or not God sees us, we wonder if he doesn't see us, well, does he love us? Does, does God truly love us? We're reminded, as we see twice in this chapter, in chapter 10, twice Daniel is called greatly loved in verse 11 and verse 18. What, what is true of Daniel is true of every person who's put their faith in Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross we are greatly loved, and we've experienced that love. I think if, if we really took to heart perhaps the most well-known Bible verse in the New Testament, we really would be changed. It's one thing to, to know it. Some of you might even have it memorized. But my challenge to you today is to, um, with fresh eyes, look at it again and embrace it for yourself. So simple. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We can be confident of God's love, but sometimes it's hard to know it. And we ask ourselves, God, do you love me? Do you see me? And then, God, are you really able to help? Are you really able to, to step in? It's one thing to be comforted by the love of God. It's another thing to be confident in the power of God. If he does see me and he does love me, is he really able to help me? And sometimes his help seems long in coming when we go through trials. And yet we're going to see as we walk through Daniel 10 through 12 that while God's help may seem long in coming, it's always going to be on time. It's always going to be exactly when we need it and when God intends it. In Daniel 9, Daniel was anticipating the end of the 70 years of captivity. And God heard him and, and answered with 70 weeks, largely defined by trouble. Well, in chapter 10, he further expands on that trouble that's going to come. But, but he's going to say that God has been and will continue to be working and intervening on behalf of his people. What's playing out is playing out because God is behind it all. So, so here's my, my challenge to you this week. I, I want you to write down three ways that you've seen God be faithful in your life. Maybe it's recently Maybe it's in the distant past. But, but remind yourself, preach to yourself about how God has been faithful to you. Come back and look at Ezra 9, 8 through 9, and, and remember how God was faithful to Israel. Go back and look at John three sixteen and remember how God was faithful to his promise to provide a rescue, forgiveness of sin, a relationship with God. And then think about how God has worked in your life to show himself faithful. We, we've got this little jar at our house. It's actually a tin can 
that says remember on it. And uh, when we were getting ready to move to Michigan, someone encouraged us to, to get that, um, that remembrance jar. And when, when we saw God answer prayers or work in, in, in significant ways, to just write it down and put it in that remembrance jar. And every now and then we'll go back and look at it and I'll remember of how God was faithful to provide a child when we didn't know if we could have a second one. How God was faithful to bring the first person to saving faith in Jesus through Treasuring Christ Church. How, how God was faithful on September 9th when we launched Treasuring Christ and on December 8th when we covenanted together officially as a church. And I look back and see God's faithfulness when we, when we got that ability to, to rent at that small little church right across the road from Baal Elementary, seeing how God's hand has been with us every step of the way, even in the midst of this quarantine, we've seen God's faithfulness on display. I want you to remind yourself of how God has proven himself faithful in your life. We, we not only see that God has proven himself faithful in Daniel 10 through 12, but we see that God is with us and at work through every trial. Daniel's whole life has been a testimony of this truth, right? I mean, he's been through trial after trial of being in Babylon for 70 years, and God has been with him, with him in uh, in, the, in the circumstances of, uh, of being thrown into jail and facing death at the king's edict and, and being in the lion's den and seeing his friends thrown into the fiery furnace and, and watching this play out throughout his life and seeing these visions to come and being reminded that God is at work even through what's ahead of him. But, but now we come and we look at, uh, at chapter 11 and uh, chapter 10 sets up the vision that's to come, and uh, chapter 11 begins by reminding us of how the king had sent Israel back to Jerusalem. In the first year, it says that Daniel stood up to strengthen and confirm him, and, and, and now he says, I will show you the truth. As he speaks this to the king, behold, three kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. And then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these." If you remember back to, to chapter 8, really what uh, these few verses here describe is similar to what it described in verse 8. There we're told that there was this, this ram and this goat. You remember the unicorn goat? Uh, I don't know how you could forget. He was very conspicuous. Uh, brownie points for you if you remember uh, the use of conspicuous there. Um, here there's no unicorn goat, but it's the same, uh, same truth. That there's going to come the kingdom of Persia, and then there's going to come the kingdom of Greece, and the first king of Greece is going to rise to power quickly, and then his kingdom is going to be dispersed to other kings, uh, and, and those kingdoms we're going to see in a few moments are uh, described as the kingdoms of the north and the south. The, the kingdoms are, uh, if you're familiar in history, the Seleucid kingdom, which was uh, synonymous with Syria and the um, and that was in the north, and the, the kingdom of the south, the Ptolemy kingdom, uh, was synonymous with Egypt. And, and, and Palestine, or Israel, is kind of stuck in the middle between these, and so it's going to uh, be at the center of this battle between the kings of the south and the north. And uh, towards the end of the period of conflict, Daniel 11 is going to say, if you look in verse 21, uh, that there's going to arise a contemptible person. 
And this contemptible person is going to do all kinds of things. He's going to arise through deception. He's going to have great power, profane the temple, it says in verse 30, put an end to the regular burnt offerings. Um, and, and we saw in chapter 8 that most likely, as we look back uh, in history, that this is in reference to, to a particular king, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, who wreaked uh, great damage on, on Jerusalem and Israel and caused many uh, to, uh, to walk away from, from God and profane the temple and, and actually ended up causing a, a rebellion to start within Jerusalem where they, uh, for a time, take back Jerusalem, Israel does for themselves under the Maccabean uh, kingdom. And, and so it's describing what we see playing out a few hundred years after Daniel's time. God's saying, this is what's going to take place. And then there's this transition uh, in really in verse 36 uh, where it speaks of a king who will do as he wills. And, and in verse 40, it describes uh, the king who uh, is one who uh, is going to arise at the time of the end and, uh, and is going to, to bring about uh, great, uh, great kind of uh, turmoil in, in Israel and the glorious land in reference to Jerusalem in verse 41 and uh, and it's going to, to come to an end uh, there at the end of chapter 11. All of this is speaking about what's to unfold before Israel. And, and there's a lot that we could dig into as we look um, at, at chapter 11. There's a lot of things we could get stuck in the weeds. And, and I would encourage you as you read through it, you'll, you'll be amazed to see at the detail with which God is showing Daniel of what's to come. But, but here's what I want to do. Rather than get in the weeds and, and give a history lesson of what unfolds uh, throughout chapter 11, I want to point out some things that are true of God and then some things that should be true of us as His people. And so, so consider this as we think about God and, and the reality that unfolds. Some of these things will be familiar to you if you've been walking with us through uh, these final chapters of Daniel, but uh, it's worth uh, repeating, and it's good for us to remember. And the first is this, that God controls the future. Nothing happens apart from his sovereign hand. Uh, we, we see as God unfolds what's going to take place, he's, he's saying, I'm not just peering into the future, into my crystal ball telling you what's going to happen. Here's what I'm going to bring about. And it's not going to come apart from my hand. He is in control. He's with his people, just as we said. He's not only going to be there in the end, but he's going to be with his people all the way until the end. And as he's with his people, God is working. He's not only at work in human history. It's one thing to think that there's a God who's up there at work in human history. But the God of the Bible is not only a God who works in human history. He's a God who works in personal history. He's a God who works in our lives. In fact, I remember hearing this a few years ago from one of my favorite preachers, John Piper. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. You see, as we look at Daniel chapter 11, we see a God who's in control, a God who is with us, and a God who is at work. And, and what does that mean for us? We see, as we look in chapter 11 and verses 32 uh, through, through 35, uh, God's going to say about the people of Israel during especially the time uh, at the end when Antiochus Epiphanes uh, comes to, uh, to Jerusalem and profanes the temple, it says that in verse 33, the wise among the people shall 
make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. And when they stumble, they shall receive a little help and they shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined and purified and made white until the time of the end. For it still awaits the appointed time. Earlier in, in 31, I cut this off where it says um, that, that God's people will know the Lord and take action. We see these things that are true of God's people. We see that God's people know him. Just as God is at work in personal history, God's people have a personal relationship with him. We know him. Even in difficult times, we we know him deeper often through difficult times. And God's people take action, not not merely just rising up against Antiochus in that time, but they they order their lives in light of God's word. They they respond to what they know of God. They're, They're called wise, which is a reference to knowing truth and applying it to circumstances. God's people help others understand that they will lead many into righteousness. They move towards others and help others know the truth. God's people stumble. What a truth that we see that God's people know him, but even those who know him stumble. Trials are hard. They expose what's in us that isn't pretty. And when we find sin, we we see that God's grace is able to meet us when we stumble and forgive us and restore us and renew us. And that's what it says at the end there in verse 35, that God's people are refined. God is always using circumstances to show us more of himself and to make us more into who he desires us to be. So, So what does this mean in our life practically? What does this look like when we say that, that God is with us and at work? Uh, <clears throat> we, we think about Daniel being in exile and some of God's people returning to Jerusalem. And there he is, left in exile. But God is with Daniel, and he's calling him to trust him, that he's, he's at work. We're reminded that where we are and what we do matters. Where we are and what we do matters matters. Because God is with us and at work, we can be confident that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that matters to God. Daniel still in Babylon, some of Israel back in Jerusalem, God is with them and he's working. Some of us are stuck at home and wish we could get out. Some of us have to go out and wish we could stay home. But God is with us and he's at work. Some of us wonder why we have This job, these friends, this circumstance, this sickness, this issue that we're facing. God is with us and he's at work. Wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, because God is with us and at work, we can trust that that matters to him. Nothing in your life is so small that it doesn't matter to God. Nothing that you're doing is is outside of the purview of God's sovereignty, of his presence with us and of his desire to work in us and through us. I also think practically it means that we can do the next thing. We can do the next thing. Some of us are control freaks. We feel that we're stressed when things don't go how we envisioned. And and when control freaks get stressed, they start to make to-do lists and they start telling other people what to do. The reality of God being with us and at work for the control freak, God says, stop. Stop. Rest. Trust that I'm at work. Trust that I'm with you. Then you can do the next thing. 
Then you'll have eyes to see what to do next. He's doing 10,000 things you're not even aware of. Trust him. Some of us feel totally out of control and paralyzed by what's going on around us. Unsure of what to do next. And the fact that God is with us and, and in control and at work, God comes to us and he says, don't fear. Do the next thing. I'm with you. I'm doing 10,000 things you don't see. And he's gracious to reveal a few of them that we can see so that we can trust him step by step. God is with us and he's at work. And the final truth, the final thing, this implication this has for us, I may regret saying this as I might get reminded of it this week. Because God is with us and he's at work, we can go to bed. We can accept our limitations and rest, trusting that what we can't get done, God will get done. God's to-do list gets done every day, even if yours doesn't. He's at work. The drumbeat of history marches on apart from your control. God's plan moves along apart from you or I lifting a finger. Kingdoms rise and fall without consideration of our opinion. Trials come and go before we even have time to process what it all means. We can trust that God is with us and is at work and therefore rest, rest in him. What comfort there is to know God's with us and he's at work doing 10,000 things that we don't see and graciously showing us a few of the things that he's doing so that we can rest in him. Psalm 3, verses 3 through 5, the psalmist says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. We can accept our limitations because God is with us and at work. We can rest in Him. And sometimes that's what, exactly what we need to be reminded of, to, to accept uh, those limitations and to trust that God is working even through them. You, you may think that you're in a terrible circumstance, but you might just be where God wants to refine you, to, to give you fresh experiences that He's going to use to be an encouragement and a blessing to others, to, to deepen your faith, to, to test the genuineness of your faith and, and refine it. He's, he's taking you through something. You, you may think this is never going to end. You may think that your kids are going to lose their mind, but God might be forming in them a faith that will persevere through all kinds of trials and circumstances. You, you may think that, that God doesn't, doesn't quite know what He's doing. He's not giving you what you think you want, what you think you need. But he's actually at work in all the ways that he intends to be to prepare you for what he knows that you need. We can trust that God is with us and that he's at work. And we see this play out when, when we get the grandiose uh, scheme uh, that chapter 11 gives us. It's easy just to be kind of overwhelmed by that and think, what in the world? Like, what do I do with chapter 11 with the details of it? But, but remember what it tells us about God. It tells us uh, that, that God is in control, that he, uh, He's with us, and that He is at work. And when we see that, that gives us exactly what we need to day by day walk in faith, to trust Him, to do the next thing, to accept our limitations, to, to press in uh, to the hard things, knowing that He's at work, knowing that right where I am and right what I'm, right what I'm, I'm doing right now, it matters to God. 
and God's able to work through it. And then, then the third thing I want us to see is that God will give us a glorious future. As God lays out these visions for Daniel time and time again, God is saying to his people, there's a glorious future for you. You may experience trouble now, but what I have in store for you is glorious. Look in chapter 12 and verses 1 through 5. We see this transition. At that time shall arise Michael, my boy, the great prince who is charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. So this is a great cataclysmic experience. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Daniel 12 brings us to the end of time. Just as we've seen throughout these final chapters, the the time of the end will be a time of trouble. And all along the course of life, we will find trouble. God's word squares with us honestly. I love that about God and his word. He doesn't tell us that life is going to be rosy and peachy. There will be joys, great joys, but there will be trouble. And however troubling it is, God's people are promised that at the end there's a glorious future. A resurrected future. Daniel 12 verse 3 is perhaps the, uh, verse 2 is perhaps the clearest uh, passage about the resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament. A day which uh, we will awake to everlasting life. But also a day to which those who don't trust God, who don't know Him, will awake to shame and contempt. It's a day of judgment and a day of everlasting life. And naturally, as Daniel sees this unfold, Daniel wants to know uh, how long. It says in verse, verse 5 that he actually sees two men uh, standing on different sides of the stream. And one calls out to the other and says, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And, and there's two very clear answers given. Verse 7 says that it will be a time, times, and half a time. So that's uh, clear enough. And then in verse 12, it says, or verse 11, that it's going to be 1,290 days. Now, we've looked at these numbers, and uh, we know that numbers in apocalyptic literature are often symbolic, referencing uh, a, a truth, uh, but not necessarily pointing to a specific uh, period of time. Both refer, though, uh, to a period of roughly... Uh, three and a half years. But the point, I think, when you look at these numbers is that the number of days is actually precise and relatively short. So here's what it's saying. God will not allow the end time trouble to go on one day longer than he intends. He's in control. Not a day will he waste. And verse 12 adds that God's people will have to persevere, not 1,200 Uh, 90 days, but 1,335 days. What's the deal? Why add 45 days? I love what one commentator says. He says, we may be puzzled by these different numbers, but the point is that God's people should persevere to the end. Jesus says that uh, blessed are those who persevere to the very end of days. So what's going to come is not going to come for one day longer than God intends. When the end comes... It's not going to take place one day longer than God intends it to. 
He is in control down to the very day in which He will return and make all things new. God is promising us a glorious future. And though it will be troubling until the end, that trouble won't last a second longer than God plans. That's how confident and sure we can be that our God is in control. And what do we do in light of this glorious future? Verse verse 3 tells us that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The wise live every day in light of their glorious future. They live every day in light of their glorious future and it's a glorious future that's revealed in God's word. Verse 4 says that Daniel's to shut up the words and seal the books until the time of the end. It says that again down in verse 9. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that God's word is supposed to be hidden as a mystery, but it means that God's word is supposed to be kept and passed on to the next generation so that they'll know what's to come at the end. We live every day in light of our glorious future that's revealed to us, that's promised to us in God's word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul speaks of this very thing when he's talking to God's people and encouraging them in the midst of of trials and difficulty. He he gives them this this encouragement that that I want us to to close with today. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, listen to these words. Paul says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God is promising us a glorious future. He's calling us to live day by day in light of our glorious future. That's, it's actually kind of a, a striking thought. To live in light of our glorious future, Paul is saying, it requires us to experience daily renewal and to day by day lift our eyes to what's eternal. All throughout Daniel, we've been, we've been reminded of what's to come. And it's easy to ask ourselves, well, what... What good does it, does it do me to know what's to come if I don't know what to do in the present? What good is the world to come when I'm trying to figure out the present world? And what God tells us, He tells us that what's to come should impact and shape what's before us right here, right now. And we experience daily renewal as we daily come to God's Word and we daily lift our eyes to remember who Jesus is, and to remember what God has promised us, and to remember what what God says is to come. So let me ask you, does your routine look the same every day? Struggle to see the purpose in it? Struggling with an old pattern of sin, returning? Thought it was gone, but find it here again? Are you struggling perhaps with difficult children. We call the hour between four and five the bewitching hour in our home. Things go crazy and you just want to pull your hair out, struggling to to know like when is this going to end? When is this going to change? Do you ever have those days where you just don't desire to get anything done? 
Or those days where you're frustrated that you can't get half done of what you intended? You have days where you struggle to see purpose in it? As I've been reminded this week, do you have days where you're weary of ongoing injustice and racism that still haunts us in this country? How do, we, how do we walk through these things? How do we press in and faithfully follow God in the challenging and, and, and difficult circumstances we face? What we need isn't just a pep talk. What, what we need isn't just to think about something that's happier or better. What we need is to, is to see through what's before us with, with a view of eternity that, that gives us a purpose in the present, that reminds us that the kids who are driving us crazy are made in God's image and we're shaping them for eternity. It, it reminds us that the, the sin that we're going to, Christ has given us a victory over and is promising us a future away from even the presence of sin. So why are we, why are we wasting time with the empty wells of our old sin when God has something that will satisfy us in the present and for eternity? When we see injustice and we see racism, we know that that's just not, we know that, that it's, it's not wrong just because it's not good for society. We know that God has made us for more. He's made every person in His image and he's, he's leading us towards a day in which all injustice, which all tears and sorrows will be wiped away and He's calling us to live in the present in light of what He is going to bring about in the end. You see, I think in light of what God is bringing in our glorious future, He's, he's providing us an anchor in the present. We know what's to come so we can be solid where He's put us. Not tossed to and fro. And he's giving us purpose in the present because we know what we're made for. Do you know what you're made for? Do you know what God has in store for you for all eternity? And is that then shaping your daily life? That's what God's calling us to. He's proven himself faithful time and time again. He's told us that he's with us and he's at work right here and right now. And no matter where we find ourselves or what we find ourselves facing, God says, I'll be with you until the end. That's our hope. As we live between two worlds, this present world and this world to come, God has reached back into the present world with the blessings and and the fruit of the world to come and is at work in our very lives today. Believer, we're called to, to, to walk out our daily life in light of the God who will sustain us until the end. And if you don't know him, God invites you in the present to come into a relationship with him. And he promises to walk with you from now until the very end. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And if you want to know him, God invites us to turn from our own way and to trust in him. It looks like seeing and acknowledging your sin. God, I'm a sinner. Putting your trust in Jesus who died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead. God, I believe that you came for me. You died for my sin and you rose again. And you surrender your life. God, it's not my way anymore. I give you my life. I put my trust in you. 
And I invite you today, if that's, if that's the decision that you're making and you desire to talk to someone about that, would you, would you text your name to the number that's on the screen so that we can talk with you and walk with you through that decision? And for all of us, when we face our difficult and our trying circumstances, whether it's now or years from now, we can be confident that there's a God. The God that we see in Daniel 7 through 12 and throughout the pages of Scripture. A God who's with us until the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that truth that we can hold on to. That you're the God who is with us until the end. The God who's proven himself faithful. The God who's promised to be with us and always to be at work in 10,000 ways that we don't even know. And he's promising us a glorious future that transforms and changes our everyday life. God, help us to, to, to have that vision of you and for that to change how we live each day here in this present world as we long for the world to come. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. It's in your son's name.